Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Manila has so many historic sites to visit. Rizal Park, Capital Church, Jones Ridge, the list goes on. But did you know that there is an entire neighborhood where history is hidden in plain sight? This part of Old Manila is home to Bahay Nabato houses more than a century old. It has colorful temples on top of buildings that overlook the concrete jungle, and it was even home to a number of once-thriving industries. The streets are dusty and some houses are falling apart, but plots of land here can be more expensive than land in Makati. And you might hear Hokkien as much as you hear Filipino. This often overlooked neighborhood is called San Nicolas, a forgotten gem among the boroughs of Manila. But a few weeks ago, we took a tour of the neighborhood and learned all about what she has to hide. And it turns out, there's a lot of gritty gorgeousness in San Nicolas. You just have to know where to look. Welcome to WhatsApp Rilink Panipunan Rebooted, the podcast that looks at Philippine history with fresh eyes. I'm Siege Dantenko, reporter, history nerd, and I love learning about old heritage houses and imagining the people who lived in them. And I'm Sab Schnabel, a historian and a comedian who has worked for Carlos Saldran, the National Museum of the Philippines, and the Guggenheim in Venice. And I am in love with the Edis Araca building. More about it later. Today, we'll take you on a field trip around San Nicolas, Manila to share with you what we learned about how it came to be and its place in Philippine history. And because we literally took a walk to record this episode, you won't just be hearing us talk about San Nicolas. You're going to hear what the neighborhood sounds like, as if you were with us on the tour too. And you'll hear from members of Chinoy Life, the group that has been conducting this tour for seven years now. They're dedicated to celebrating and appreciating the uniqueness of Filipino-Chinese or Chinoy culture. All set? Let's hit the road! Good morning, good morning. We are recording. We are, it's the morning of April 14? 14, yes. Yes, April 14. And we are recording in Binondo. This is our very first on location episode. Field trip! Field trip! As usual, before we get into anything else, let's start with the Pearl of the Orientation. Let's pinpoint the neighborhood we're talking about and place it on the map for you. We started our tour at the Plaza San Lorenzo Ruiz in Binondo. If you've never been, it's located in front of the minor basilica of St. Lorenzo Ruiz, a.k.a. Binondo Church, and is surrounded by several tall buildings. The main speaker at the tour was Stephen Pamorada. He's a cultural worker who has specialized in the inventory of heritage, from tangible heritage such as buildings to intangible heritage such as traditions, fiestas, and cuisine. Pagtawid natin, that's already San Nicolas. And then, that goes all the way to the Pasig River area. Yun yung boundary niya. And towards this area, sino dito pupunta ng Divisoria? A show of hands, please. So, yung boundary na yun, with Tondo, 
that's yung recto na yun, yung, maha, yung malaking street na yun. So that's also the boundary of San Nicolas with Tondo. Don't worry if you didn't know where it is. Um, ako rin personally, when I write addresses, especially my personal address, para lang mas maintindihan ng mga tao, ang nangyayari, sinusulat namin, Binondo. Para lang mas maintindihan ng mga tao. Kasi usually, hindi nabibigyan ng emphasis si San Nicolas. That's why we are doing this activity to really emphasize na meron palang San Nicolas na district. And it's a separate district from Binondo. There have also been many other names for San Nicolas throughout its history. Merong Baybay, Longos, Estacadas, Barra Salidad, Morelion del Norte. Lahat yan, nag-refer sa San Nicolas before. Here, 1894, that's the time that San Nicolas was separated as a distinct district from Binondo. Pero as far as 1820 pa, pinangalan na ito talagang area na San Nicolas. So now that we know a little bit more about the area and how it got its name, Let's visit the first stop of the tour, where we learned how the Chinois came to the Philippines. Our first stop was just a few steps away from the Plaza San Lorenzo Ruiz and past this colorful bridge over Estero de Binondo. And you'll know you're already in San Nicolas when you see a colorful building with a sloping roof, which is actually the South San Nicolas Volunteer Fire Brigade. Let me show you this photo. This is what they call the Engineering Island. Are you familiar with the Baseco, yung slum area, Baseco? Have you heard of it? Dati yung pangalan niya, Engineering Island. Kaya sa Baseco yun, Bataan Shipping and Engineering Company. We know this part doesn't take place in San Nicolas, but it's important, we promise. Heads up though, what you're about to hear for the next 50 seconds or so deals with racism the Chinese faced during the Spanish period. It's an important story to tell, but feel free to skip ahead if it becomes too uncomfortable. Here's Rach Go one of the founders of the group behind the tour, Chinoy Life. When it comes to the Chinese Filipinos and even the mainlanders during that time, when they arrive in the Philippine territories, they would need to quarantine in Engineer Island. You will be staying there for 7 days, 14 days. Doon, depende kung gano'ng kasadista yung nagbabantay sa inyo. You can stay there for months until sabihin niya sa'yo na pwede na kayo umalis. And they will literally host you down. They don't care if it hurts. May xenophobia na ever since. They're going to sanitize you by hosing you down. Once na sinabi nila na you're okay, you're going to be put in cascos. Mga maliliit na bangka. Dadalhin ka from Baseco, idadaan ka sa ilog, papasok kayo sa estero, ang landing point nyo dyan. And that's how they got to San Nicolas. Despite these hardships they faced upon arriving in the Philippines, the Chinese immigrants kept on coming during the Spanish period. And they stayed. They put down their roots on Philippine soil, bringing along with them their culture and their religion. At paglanding din, meron small shrine for this um, Chinese god of war called Teakong. He's a god of war. Kumbaga, siya, siya kasi yung parang patron. Patron ng mga Chinese when they land here. They put up a shrine here kasi you're grateful that you're able to land na sa Philippines. And at the same time, eto, there's another legend. You've heard about the discrimination, basically. So, one time, the Spanish people were repelling those who are coming on board. So, etong god na to, as the legends would tell us, nagpakita siya dito, sa area. nagkaroon siya ng apparition to repel also the Spaniards. So, kumbaga, naglaban sila. Kaya, mataas ang devotion ng mga Chinese-Filipino community here in this area to Teyakong. There's a temple for Teyakong in Santa Cruz, 
We didn't get to visit that one, but the Chinois do have family temples right here in San Nicolas. You might have already noticed them before if you've been around Manila. They're these colorful, intricately designed pagodas that jut out of the top of your typical multi-story building. But it wasn't enough for these early Chinese immigrants to just bring their culture from mainland China. They needed to fit in and protect themselves from discrimination by changing their names. Here's an example from Mike Lu, Rach's co-founder at Chinoy Life. Cham Sam Ko and Sons is one of the oldest hardware stores in the Philippines. This was founded in the early 1900s. They're still operating until now. If you're wondering, Cham is a surname. In the Philippines, when you become Filipino or when you become Catholic, they change your name. Normally, the Chinese have three characters, diba? Right? For example, Chang Kai Shek, Mao Che Tung. The first character is a surname. The second character is the generation name. Generation name means lahat kayong the same generation. All your brothers, all your cousins use that name. And then the third is your real name. That one last character is your name. But in the Philippines, when you get baptized and you change your surname, they retain their surname, Cham. Tapos they just get the third name, the third character for them, Sam. And then add the word ko at the end. Ko means brother, big brother, elder brother. In the same way that uh, the Japanese use san at the end, diba? or Pinoy's would use ka in front of someone's name. This explains where my own last name comes from, Tantenko. My family feels Pinoy as we come, to be honest, and we don't carry Chinoy traditions. But our last name tells me that once upon a time, my ancestors came from China. There were other permutations that you wouldn't know. Akala mo Filipino, but they're not. You may son sa likod. Hizon, Sison, Tuason. The meaning is Tua is big. Son would be the uh, grandson. So Tuason is the eldest grandson. Dison, D is second, second grandson. As more Chinese immigrants settled in this neighborhood, the Chinoy community was born. Chinois are very particular about how they identify, as neither Filipino nor Chinese, but both. The Chinese tried to become more mestizo-looking and sounding. They Filipinized and Hispanized their names. At the same time, they brought over from the mainland things like their architecture, their food, their family traditions, creating a unique local culture all their own, that Rach and the others are trying to preserve. They even brought with them their own language, which is different from what is taught in most Chinoy schools today. Hokkien, not Mandarin. This beautiful, unique local culture helped build San Nicolas. And with that, we're going to take you around the streets and buildings of this neighborhood. We walked through San Nicolas in the middle of summer. It was Holy Week, so the streets were quieter and emptier than usual. Except, of course, for our curious group of 20 or so. I was kind of dying from the heat. And I had a big hat on, so I was like, eh, no sweat. I'm used to taking these hot walks through Manila thanks to my days of joining Carlos Saldron on his tours. May he rest in peace. I was his research assistant. Anyway, we weren't just making our way downtown, walking fast, faces pass, and we're homebound. (laughs) 
We were also learning about how the streets of San Nicolas got their names and what kind of industries thrived there. Okay, ito yung mga streets that you will see along the way. La Vizares, Tabora, Elcano, Delcon, Orbistondo. Important personalities throughout history, particularly mga Spanish governor general. Clavel, ilang-ilang haboneros fundidor. Basically, mga industries found in San Nicolas during its heyday. Okay? Next, ito, fumadores, mestizo, caballeros, baraka, mga whimsical names yan. May mga meaning bakit yan yung mga pangalan ng mga streets. Especially fumadores. Do you know what fumadores is? Smoking. Naglalabas siya ng fumes. From opium dens. Yan. And then, religious in nature. Of course, San Nicolas in itself. Santo Cristo, San Fernando, Asuncion, Santa Elena. And then next, Barcelona, Madrid, Numancia, Sevilla. Mga cities and towns in Spain. So San Nicolas was always bustling with commerce and trade. And once upon a time, it was the source of unique goods that were prized all over the world. Like Ilang Ilang. So that particular street where you see he is back, that's actually Ilang Ilang Street. Back then, during the Spanish time, that was actually the place where we distill the Ilang Ilang scent. Ilang Ilang is actually very um, intoxicating, so intoxicating that it was always used as a base for perfumes. Chanel number five. But then, fast forward to the present, around the 90s, meron nagsopang. Si YSL, pinatent na si ilang-ilang ano, extract. So, no one else can use it. And specifically, I think, um, aside from us, they're directly getting the ilang-ilang na, ilang-ilang essence directly from India. So tayo, we have to stop. So it died out. San Nicolas was also a district of middle-class workers and merchants. It's home to one of the oldest hardware stores in the land, which Mike already mentioned earlier, Cham Samco and Sons. It's still open on Santo Cristo Street. You might not notice it at first if you're just passing by, but that's the neat thing about history. It can be found everywhere, sometimes right in front of us even when we don't know it. For another example, let's go to the Divisoria Public Market. Here, you'll see the mall painted in green and surrounded by stalls selling fruits and toys and all sorts of goods. But if you take a good look around, you might just catch a splash of Art Deco architecture. Art Deco is a style that uses sleek geometric elements like long rectangles and graceful curved lines. And it's often associated with luxury. Think the Great Gatsby or the Chrysler Building in New York. But bordering the market, here in San Nicolas, we've got the, the Edis Oraca building. Okay, you'll see the building here. Yung architect niya is Arthur Gumbert. So, ilan sa mga dinesign na niya ng mga buildings is yung San Miguel Factory in Malacanang. Also, the Coca-Cola plant in Otis, in Pandacan. Unfortunately, the Coca-Cola plant was demolished in 2015. And this one, Edes Oraca Building. Bakit Edes? I-D-E-S. It came from this guy. Who's um, an unsung hero, I would say. Isidoro de Santos. He's the doctor to the heroes. Apolinario Mabini, these people. Siya yung doctor. In terms of architecture, that's Art Deco. And then it was built in the 1930s. Hindi natin alam kung ano specific year. Pero estimated, there are aerial photos of this neighborhood. In the 1930s, na kinoconstruct pa siya. So we can assume this was at least built before the year 1935. I love this building. It's this spiky castle-looking structure that rises up from the chonget that surrounds it. It really stands out from the crowded square. I've never seen a building quite like it. It has little rounded balconies and triangle design motifs, and it looks right out of a 20s film. 
The Edis Oraka building is definitely not in its glory days now, but it's still really beautiful. You can tell that the people who made it, once upon a time, were proud of the design that went into the building. They really don't build like that anymore. But there's more to this building than just its design. It's got a long and interesting story behind it. So, ang history niya down the road, kung kanina Edis and then Oraka building, so ano siya? Ito yung picture. It's a company. Oraka Confectionery Incorporated. Basically, nagbabenta ng mga candies, mga biscuits. And that still happens today dito sa era ng Divisoria na. Marami nagtitinda ng groceries. Eventually, na-takeover siya ng isang Japanese company nga. So, nung nagkaroon ng war, ito yung naging concentration camp for the Japanese. Kasi nga, isa to sa mga unang kinonsider as an alien property or enemy property. Kasi nga, it's owned by a Japanese person. Okay, this building is now owned by a developer. It's going to be converted to be a high-rise warehouse. Now. So how do you save a building short of chaining yourself to the doors and letting the bulldozers come? That's dramatic, but not very helpful. Instead, Stephen sought the help of Dr. Isidoro de Santos' family to write letters, drumming up local support. Back in 2013, I was still in college. Yon, I wrote a letter to the National Museum and eventually they recognized it as a cultural property, that's a status. So at least there's a level of protection. But then again, when the current owner came in, of course they have plans for the building. So again, we wrote a petition that we want to save this building and we want to actually declare it as a, as a heritage site. Here, this interior is much more random, but if it's converted, it's always done with our friends from Renacimiento. But this one is made by an architecture student affiliated with it. Renacimiento Manila is another heritage advocacy group that's putting in the work to push for preserving these buildings. Everyone brings something to the table. So what can we do to give the developer some sort of idea on what can be done in the building? Even this plaza that we are in, we want to reclaim this. So it can be a plaza for everyone, for open space. We need more open space as ano, what was proven by this pandemic, we want more open spaces. So, may mga renders na ginawa kami. If you want to know more, yun ang pwede niyang i-like Renacimiento Manila on Facebook. It's thanks to these efforts that the Edis Araca building was declared a grade 3 cultural property by the National Museum. But what Stephen and the De Santos descendants want is to have it protected by the law as a national cultural treasure or a national historical landmark. That's the highest designation that can be given to a heritage site in the Philippines, according to Stephen. So for now, the Edis Oraca building is protected. But for how long? Consider this. It's not the first time that our heritage buildings in Manila have been threatened by destructive urban development. It's even lucky that the Edis Oraca building survived the Battle of Manila in World War II. Like many other historic structures that have come and gone before it, the Edis Oraca building should be protected. But how do we do that? Our hope lies in the people fighting to keep sites like the Edis Oraca building alive. Raising awareness is just part of the battle. The rest of the work, we have to learn from other people who have fought this before. So after the tour, we'll get back to the walk later, I promise. We got to sit down with Rach and talk about the nitty-gritty of protecting our heritage sites, why it's important, and what kind of work goes into it. Rach's story starts with the Sunico foundry, which once operated in San Nicolas. The foundry was actually built and, and founded by Hilario Sunico. What made him well-known is the fact that he was proper na, na mix to make the bells. 
so the sound was more, much more better compared to the other foundries. So he became renowned for that kind of bells, and he technically supplied bells all over the Philippines. So he's also one of the people who was the inspiration behind Capitan Tiago. That's right, a San Nicolas reference in a Jose Rizal novel. Capitan Tiago, of course, is Maria Clara's father in Noli Metangere. Needless to say, Hilario Sunico left behind quite the legacy. But after his death, the Sunico properties were sold off. But this particular foundry, um, usually ginagawa siyang ano eh, um, dun sila nagsushoot ang mga action films. If you look inside um, the foundry, open siya sa gitna. And you would still see old bottles lying around. Kasi eventually, nag-take over sa kanya junk shop na. But everything else, wala na, hollow na siya sa loob. The second floor, medyo buo pa, pero butas sa gitna. But everything else outside, it was all original. Especially the grills. He made it himself. Kilala siya for yung mga flowers na design. Either 2018 or 2019, we were doing a tour. An exact tour that we were doing earlier. And then, bigla na lang may tumawag sa akin from one of the, the participants. And then when I talked to this person, sabi niya, he was one of the tenants. He was the one currently um, managing the junkyard. And then he showed me a letter. They were being evicted and he was offered na, I'm going to ask you to move as early as now so you could find a new place. So sinabihan siya na, if you do, sa'yo ko ibibigay yung, yung project to demolish this whole thing. So what I did, I wrote to NCCA. That's the National Commission for Culture and the Arts. Uh, we've attached yung, yung blueprints ng house, historical background ng house, everything to support. And then the old photos, we sent it, NCCA acknowledged it, they wrote me back, they gave me the proper endorsements to NHCP. A.K.A. the National Historical Commission of the Philippines. But then, after a few months... The trail went cold. Nagpo-follow up na ako na nagpo-follow up noon after i-acknowledge in NHCP. Ano na? Wala siya masagot. So, email ako ng email. Tapos kay NCCA, nag-e-email din ako. And then, fast forward, nagulat na lang kami. Nakatapal na yung Tarpolini National Museum na hindi-demolish na siya. They entered into a compromise. Real estate developer yung nakabili kasi. MLC. So they're going to give the go signal to, to have it demolished, pero National Museum is still going to keep a few details of the house, like the grills or whatever. So the foundry was demolished, and in its place looks to be yet another high-rise, a priceless piece of our history pushed aside in the name of progress. There's a law, the National Cultural Heritage Act of 2009, which protects properties older than 50 years old that have historical or cultural significance. It was passed in 2009 after the demolition of the Manila Hialeah building, once known as the best Art Deco building in Asia. Under the law, such properties are registered in the NCCA's database called PRECUP, or the Philippine Registry for Cultural Property. The NCCA works with cultural agencies and local governments to fund the protection, conservation, and restoration of these properties. However, there are difficulties in implementing this law. In some cases, due to a lack of awareness on the part of the LGU or the owners of these significant properties. In others, due to concerns about the safety of such old structures. And then, of course, there are buildings that have been torn down for commercial development projects. 
The National Cultural Heritage Act is an important instrument that works best when the government coordinates well at the national and local levels to implement the law and understand its importance. There's also the matter of a lack of manpower, as the NHCP has only 12 architects and three engineers overseeing structures in the whole country. Now, all hope is not lost. There are still several other heritage buildings in San Nicolas, which people like Rach are fighting to preserve. And that's the reason Chinoy Life conducts its heritage tour every year. The more people who know about the importance of these buildings, the more people who can protect them. And we don't actually have to choose between preserving these pieces of history and progress with a capital P. After all, who doesn't want a better way of living our lives? That's what progress means. And it can look like many things. It can mean creating more green spaces in the city, so we don't have to hang out in malls all the time. Or making streets friendlier for pedestrians and bikers so that more people can get around more easily. What it doesn't mean is taking down old historic buildings just because they're not shiny towering skyscrapers. Progress is supposed to be inclusive for everyone. Yes, even for heritage sites. Because when we take these things for granted, we forget what the people living and working in them have been through. We forget culture and values and people's real stories. And when we lose our past, that can be scary for our future. So what does successful heritage preservation look like? Well, one option is just to restore an old house. Some people are already doing that with houses in San Nicolás. So let's get back on the road and see what a successful working heritage house can be. Stephen led us to the intersection of Lara and Barcelona Street, where on one side, we saw a lot barricaded with hierro and some ongoing construction work. And on the other, we saw Casa Vivencio, a house owned by the Gaspar family. Kung narinig niyo agad yung Suni ko na family, ito yung isa sa mga properties nila before. But currently, the owners are the Gaspar family. And thankfully, owners have some sort of um, interest and care also for protection of our heritage. At yung... The house in question is a heritage house, but instead of being run down, it's been restored and has been painted and detailed. It's really striking. Actually, sir, uh, magiging coffee shop po yung corner po niya. Ah, so, pwede okay. po kayong mag-ano po, uh, luman pag nag-open na po. Sa pinangalap po namin sa father po namin. Kuyer Well's father told his children before he died that he would leave it up to them whether to restore the building or not. And they chose to do so. And that's not the only way to do it. During the last part of the tour, we passed by the San Nicolas Fire Station, which is one of the oldest in the Philippines. It's so old that it's made of wood, which you might find odd for a fire station. I thought we were going there, but instead we went into a regular-looking public elementary school. And we were wondering, what could they possibly be showing us here? The best kept secret of San Nicolas is yet to come. Ito, ito yung aerial view niya. May, may nakikita ba kayo parang shape or something? So baka sa octagon ng lot, we'll see kung umakit tayo. Huwag may ano, cliffhanger. 
And so we went upstairs into a room on the second floor, and lo and behold, it was full of treasure. Imagine a small classroom turned into a museum with painstaking effort. On the walls, a painted map of the neighborhood with beautiful calligraphy. On the table, blue and white ceramics, celadon green plates, amber medicine bottles, and so much pottery. And all of it was excavated from the lot of the high school. There was also a map and a model where we could see how San Nicolas was originally planned and built. It used to be essentially a silk market. Silk market for meaning dito talaga binabagsak yung many of the goods coming from uh, China and other places. So every time na merong kinoconstruct na mga buildings dito or merong mga diggings around, merong mga nahukay. At lahat na nakikita nyo around, nahukayan dito sa school lot natin. At the same time, ito rin yung property kung saan uh, na-transfer yung parian. If you know parian, that's where the Chinese settlements used to be located. So you can see iba't ibang ceramic na items over there, mga porcelain. And then take a look at that um, mounted marker over there. That was uncovered in the 1970s. That's already a replica, but the original is made out of uh, granite. Pero ang nakalagay dyan, it's to inaugurate the Alcaiceria de San Fernando in the year 1762. The silk market that once stood there was called the Alcaiceria de San Fernando. And the marker that Stephen is talking about here has been recognized as a national cultural treasure by the National Museum, which is where you can see the original. Now, going back to mga artifacts. At itong museum na to, sino yung nag-effort nito? So, papakilala ko po sa inyo, si Kuyo Wilven, teacher Wilven. Lapit po kayo dito. 30 years ago, bago akong teacher dito, marami na ako nakikita ang artifacts. Kaya lang ang style noon, finders keepers, kung sino makakuha kanya na. And nung wala na yung mga siga dito, na kuha ng kuha ng mga artifacts, siguro binibenta sa mga antique shop, kinulit ko yung mga nakukuha dito. Yung unang-unang artifact, yun yung gin bottle, yung merong basag sa ibabaw. So ang istorya, ganito po ah, bago mag-start sila ng digging, kinausap ko yung mga mag-uukay. Sabi ko, naniniwala ba kayo sa ulam? Uh, then sabi ko kasi, pag nakakuha kayo ng bote na may takip, huwag ninyong bubuksan. Kasi ang style ng mangkukulam noon, kapag nahuli, kinukulong sa bote. Kaya pag nakakita kayo, huwag na huwag ninyong bubuksan. So ngayon, pag nakita kayong bote, huwag niyong bibigay kahit kaninong teacher dito, bigay mo sa principal. Eh, nung nakakukay nga yung unang bottle na yon, wala yung principal sa so binigay sa akin. Then, isa-isang naglabasa na, eh, nagkaroon ng tiwala sa akin yung mga construction workers. Lahat na ng mga nahukay nila binibigay sa akin. And during their lunch break, ako naman ang naguhukay. Kaya some of the artifacts, mismo ako ang ano, nakahukay niya. Almost 10 years na po itong museum at bago yung pandemic, nag-iba itong building na to. Doon ang original location po sa ground floor. Lahat naman ng gastos galing dito yan. No? Wala po tayong government support o sa school support kasi hindi naman priority ano to, eh, ng budget ng school. The museum is just a part of the high school. Like you would think from the outside that it's just a regular classroom. And whatever artifacts are found, they're added to the collection. 
This is one of the ways that progress and heritage can go hand in hand. This school took over the structure that was here, but still pays homage to what came before. Props to Mr. Wilven Infante, who managed to create this mini-museum almost all on his own. And you can actually help, and should help, keep the mini-museum running by leaving donations in a box when you visit. Now, Sap and I would have loved to stay and ask more questions, but we had to keep moving. Our last stop was a pretty unassuming Bahay na Bato along Urbistondo Street, which we're told once had a pretty famous resident. Here's a hint. You might have seen a little film about him where he's played by John Arcelia. Last stop natin would be this house. According to the, no, to the marker here, it's the birthplace of General Antonio Luna. Um, inside, you would actually see a grand uh, staircase. Everything is made from Nara. Um, and then, up until now, yung, yung Nara staircase and nandiyan pa rin. Um, unfortunately, now, the last thing that we know about it is that so right now, um, last thing that we heard, this is up for sale. 2013, it was around 100 million. Now, there have been a few conflicting claims about this house. Although the NHCP placed a historical marker here, the businessman who owns it, Lorenzo Tan, said back in 2012 that the marker was originally placed somewhere else along the same street, his mother-in-law's house. But his mother-in-law didn't want the marker there, so it was supposedly moved here. To this day, the house is known as Antonio Luna's birthplace, and his birthday is celebrated around the area in October. At the same time, it remains a hundred million peso bodega. Just imagine that for a moment. I can't think of a better contradiction with which to end our heritage walk of San Nicolas. And I can't believe that the tour is over! Well, it actually took us a total of three and a half hours with a short break for refreshments, but I felt like I could just keep going on all day. What was your favorite part? Mine was the Edis Araka building. I just want to shoot a movie in there. Mine was the surprise treasure trove in the public school. You know, there's so much to celebrate about San Nicolas's heritage. It's so clear when you're on the ground. And it's not just Rach, Stephen, and Mike who care about preserving this history. It's also the owners of the junk shops in the area that tip them off to developers sniffing around. And teachers like Kuya Wilven who make a difference every day. The most encouraging part of going on this tour is that we learned that this is a problem we can help solve. We can actually do something about it. Our heritage is an important part of who we are. Right now, we have so little that connects us to our past. And each of these houses is important to preserve. And we're not going to sugarcoat it. The Philippines isn't really doing a good job at it. Here's how Rach describes how quickly a heritage house can be demolished. It was the same thing that happened to a pink house. Uh, we call it the Yuhenko. Every time we pass by that house during a tour, natawag namin siyang cake house. Kasi mukha siyang cake. An original bahay na bato na medyo minodernize ang kote with the color and all. I got a call from Wilben. Ginigiba. Takbohan kami. Pagdating namin doon, ang bilis. And that's why um, we, we actually make this every year. As long as we make noise, as long as we take pictures of those photos, as long as it goes online, hindi sila makagalaw. Heritage preservation isn't exactly glamorous work. It can involve a lot of, well, literal digging for artifacts. 
or actually taking people out through the streets to show them the conditions of neglected heritage sites. Not to mention all the letters you have to write and the calls you have to make, facing other people who might have different priorities in the area. But this is how we keep everyone aware of what we're losing and what we need to protect. Make our voices heard and let those in power know that we are watching. And to those in government, please include heritage conservation in your budgets. Look at other countries' practices, like how South Korea has been able to preserve Joseon-era palaces in the middle of Seoul and make them a key part of their tourism and, by extension, the local economy. Make it a priority and lead the way so that people like Rach, Steven, and Mike don't have to fight as hard every day. And for people like you and me, we don't have to go all the way to another city or wait for the next heritage tour to do our part. Learn about the heritage sites in your own neighborhood. Our participation in running this country doesn't start and end with voting in the elections. The best thing you can do today is to stand up for our heritage and our history. Class dismissed. Subscribe to WhatsApp Araling Pandipunan Rebooted on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you learned something new from this episode, do your part and share it with a friend. Are you from a historically significant neighborhood? Take pictures and tell us all about it. Tag us on Twitter at History Rebooted, on Facebook.com slash History Rebooted, and on Instagram at History.Rebooted. Once again, I'm Siege Tantenko, Puma Podcast. I'm on social media at Siege The Day. That's C-E-E-J The Day. Because I think you should seize the day. And I'm Sab Schnabel, Puma Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Sabrina Schnabel, that's S-C-H-N-A-B-E-L, rhymes with fable. This episode of What's Up, Araling Panlipunan Rebooted, was produced by Nina Toralba and edited by Joe Salcedo. Art by Trix Casilian. 